John is a man of focus, commitment, sheer will. Something you know very little about. I once saw him kill three men in a bar with a pencil. Three men in a bar. A with pencil. A... I know, I've heard the story. With a fucking pencil? Who the fuck can do that? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Mix Nonfiction with your host, Nick Munez. This edition is the shortest of all time. Leonard E. Reed is bringing us iPencil, a little 16-page pamphlet about free market capitalism. Ideas are most digestible when wrapped in a compelling story, and this little dozen-pager takes us through the entire lifetime of a pencil. Even inanimate objects will live much more profound lives than humans who are born, raised, and die in their same hometown. The pencil, the lead, is farmed out of caves in India. The little tungsten scarf that it wraps around the top is mined off of the coasts of Africa. A pencil has an interesting life, and we take it for granted. It costs less than a cent, whereas in Soviet Union, they had lines for pencils, they had lines for toilet papers. We saw those come around in the developing Communist Party of the United States. That is the theme of the show for today. We are breaking down that government mentality of you need to break some eggs to make an omelet, which was the cliche that started the French reign of terror from 1793 to 94, and then their revolution. This whole reverse incentive, think the DMV. If you get negative DMV reviews, you get more funding from the government, so the meaner you are to your customers, the more money you make. I wish I could open my own Sato BDS some place where I could just wail on people for money. Think about how we dealt with the quarantine. You know, government sleeps while they need to make a vaccine, but they have never missed a paycheck of mine. They always got their friggin' thumb and forefinger taking money out of my paychecks. They're awake when they want to. The whole incentive for the virus was to snitch on your neighbors. How does that not lead to a communist hellhole? Why did they not incentivize you to help the old person on your block? It is always these reverse incentives that lead us to a state-controlled means of production, which destroys entire industries, entire livelihoods, leads to jobs overseas, all because you don't know where pencils come from. This is what Robespierre was thinking during that French reign of terror. He was going, I could just pick other insiders for my government and will suck all the industry up. 200 years later, the French working class is back in the streets rioting. You see him starting in America. These power structures create cycles of human tragedy. The power of the market only rises people up. Let's get into the about the author Leonard E. Reed. Leonard Edward was born September 26th of 1898 died in 1983, almost lived a hundred years, and those are the most eventful years in human history. He was born in the time period where man was making less than a dollar a day, more than 50% of men. The widespread of poverty was the state of nature. We are some crazy creatures being able to get a pencil on every street corner, whereas even back further, the dark ages, medieval times, you had to work a whole year 
to get a scribe's tool, a pencil, but it's not like he knew how to read. Leonard E. Reed, he lived through that, the rise of the biggest free markets and then the biggest, the New Deal, the biggest clamped down, the Federal Reserve, J.P. Morgan created that in the 20s as well. He was in his heyday writing during some of the biggest events and the shaping of our democracies for the hundreds of years we're living in and to come. Studied in his later years at the Chicago School of Economics, which is the most renowned in America, but he also founded the Foundation of Economic Education, one of America's first libertarian institutes. So the Chicago School of Economics is known to birth people who then go on to the Mises Caucus or study further the Australian School of Economics that's all tied together. It's um, not like the Keynesian economics that you're going to hear about on CNN. They tell you mass spending. <laughs> there is no left wing or right wing in America anymore. I know we're in the about the author, but think about it. How come both wings spend more every single year? Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump, every single one has extended our budget. That is an unsustainable corporatist model to run a country. That implodes or it goes bankrupt at a certain point. It's not... <laughs> There's your Keynesian economics for you off the bat. Leonard E. Reed, he wrote 29 books. I mean, if he considers this little 15-pager a book, then sure, whatever. His other big one was, says it in the back here, Rendering unto Caesar was Jesus a socialist. <laughs> That's what I'm always trying to say on the show, but I'm not a 29-book author. Jesus was preaching against the Roman debtor's prison system. Everyone was getting debt-pwned, and Jesus was like, why are we centralizing the banking system we need to decentralize just like the pencil industry needs to be decentralized so that more people can get a piece of the pie jesus was killed for talking about eye pencil these types of ideas have always been suppressed and he uh this was published in 1958 this little reader at the height of mccarthyism so people were starting to think wait that communism thing Seems like a good idea. I could get a free 1200 bucks. Yeah, well, you don't know if that's going to come in every month or when that ends. It's better to be self-reliant than to just uh, give up all of your autonomy. He was in the United Army Air Services in World War I, returned to Michigan to open a grocery store. He's learning uh, little business transactions, how to run a... Like running a grocery store to an extent is how you would run a country on a micro, micro, micro scale. He got involved in the Chamber of Commerce there in Michigan, so that wasn't enough for him. He wanted to do some zoning board. He wanted to get involved in the town outside of his 9 to 5. And with all that experience in the Chamber of Commerce, he moved to L.A. to manage theirs. That's a big jump to the second biggest city in America. He's dealing with all their money. And he was telling Californians that the New Deal was inefficient. It's morally bankrupting future generations. <laughs> Like I just said, everyone, yeah, yeah, I got 1200 bucks. <laughs> Do you realize we had to print over two trillions? It's going to look like 10 trillion of inflation over the next decades. That's indebting your kids. That is bankrupting future generations. Nothing is free. You got to read one more level beneath free money. He saw how to save industries when more people get a piece of that federal income tax pie, how it starts to dissolve and corrode the foundation of the government, which starts out pure as all things do. But now we're 200 years into the cesspool. 
After working in L.A. for some time, he was saving their uh, Chamber of Commerce so much money, he was invited over to New York City as the National Industrial Conference Board in 1945. Seen some post-war reparation payments and stuff. He's dealing with some of the biggest lump sums of money on planet Earth. Reed received a few honorary degrees and considers himself to be a part of the Australian School of Economics, what I mentioned before. And that brings us to our book today. I Pencil, it's a quick little read, I think about five chapters, takes us through the life of a pencil. We will throw in some relevant stories about (laughs) the decaying state of the United States as we did a few weeks ago. Always keeping in the theme of the show. To start us off, my family, the trees. I'm a pencil. Just the ordinary wood stick that every American who's publicly educated would know about. Writing is the pencil's vocation and a vocation. That's all it does and that is all it will ever do. The proletariat pencil. He has no further goals. He fills his role until death. No revolt in the classroom. Leonard in the pencil said, People take me for granted as they do a sunset or a rainstorm. Because just like a sunset or a weathering pattern, people don't know where pencils come from. You think you uh, shove a giant stone of lead down through the trunk of a tree and then just slice it off? It's more intricate than that. Even when this was written in 1958, people were still using pencils every single day. I would say more than we do nowadays. But think about how this book perfectly translates like these economists write in a timeless fashion. The iPhone. It's literally in all of our pockets. It is your government tracker. You don't know how it's made. You don't know where these things come from. Some of the minerals get mined again in uh, in uh, the Middle East. Why do you think we're invading the fuck out of Afghanistan for the past 20 years? And we need to get into Iran. They have rare earth minerals that go into these phones that we don't even know where they come from. It's the same thing as the pencil was in 58. Man, if there was the department of the iPhone or the United States tech department, you know an iPhone would cost $50 million. How is it that this miracle machine this super technology costs well now a thousand bucks because you see it's getting more corporatized but before you used to be able to get an iphone color for three hundred dollars hobos in our society today homeless people are hooked up to the world wide web that's what happens when you have an extremely free economy you don't see hobos in china they're being re-educated in work camps in america they are more free they do meth on the street and play fucking temple run and fruit ninja all night on their iphones even in 1958 the most mccarthyist americans had their own pencils they weren't waiting in bread lines like they had to in soviet union joke i've been making on the show how we we make the uh, nba shoe deals here lebron has his own line those are sewn together by taiwanese and chinese kids and then they sell them back to american kids we are So spoiled, we do not know where things came from in this country. So you could choose the iPhone, a car, a lot of consumer objects to present the story that Leonard E. Reed is trying. But he's saying a pencil can teach this lesson better than a dishwasher or whatever because of its simplicity and its abundance. Such a simple product, and 99% of people don't know how it's made. 500 million pencils come into existence a year. If that was like an invasive species, we'd be talking about the invasion of the pencils. This would be an epidemic, a pandemic of pencils. But we don't even know where they come from, and they cost nothing. How does it get to this point? Wood, graphite, metal, and rubber. 
Those are pretty expensive properties, especially even if you bought a gram of each, it would be more than a dollar. How is a pencil so cheap? That's his family. We'll get deeper into the where they come from. The next chapter is called Innumerable Antecedents. Hope I said that right. Yeah, humans, we say the uh, the nut doesn't fall too far from the tree. It would be hard to say for Mr. Pencil which one he came from. Pencil said, I am most likely grown from wood or a cedar tree up in Oregon or Washington. The lumberjacks then come and saw down my family tree. I'm then butchered down with axes, separated from more of my family tree, and we are all thrown onto a truck. Tied together with rope, which is another family that was hemp grown up, so there's another industry. And then they are driven to the railroad factory, and the railroads then ship them down the tracks. All along the railroad workers, the lumberjacks are drinking their coffee. They need to make it through their day of lumbering pencils. You probably didn't even know, every single pencil, all of the wood, once it gets to the assembly factory, is tinted. All of the wood needs to be the same recognizable hue of that yellowish pencil. Don't forget, I'm mentioning all these industries that go into it. The Pacific Gas and Electric that goes into heating these Oregon and Washington mills. They use hydroplane power plants, so this is taking us to future technologies. Leonard E. Reed found that in the pencil part of the factory, where all the wood gets shipped into, there is about $4 million of machinery just to size the wood, just to get it to that beautiful, perfect size to fit between your index and forefinger. Man, talking about the free market, I dated this girl, uh, we don't need a time range, but her dad was wealthy. He designed factory parts for machinery, just like those conveyor belt machines. He designed the tiny little lug nuts on WordPress or whatever the fuck CAD people use, and he would sell hundreds of these tiny little parts to factories all over the country. If you had the United States Pencil Department, there would be one contract every five years with Boeing that makes the little pencil bolts. Like, this guy would not have been able to have a family and procreate more daughters, more families. Someone's going to have to take over his little pencil part industry, which wouldn't have existed. That guy would have been on a government stipend had the means of production been seized. As for Mr. Pencil, his $4 million of machinery at the factory... That's nothing if you don't have the graphite, which is mined in Ceylon, Sri Lanka, right off the co coast of India. Those are the darkest people laboring away in the world. We talk about <laughs> talk about racism in America, the paper bag test about people got dark working the fields. Those people in South India, they're blue-black, man. They're blacker than black people. They are slaving away, chipping away at rocks, all for our pencils. They get paid pennies on the dollar. You would think this would be this amazing tool of writing that costs millions of dollars for all the labor that goes into it. That's what happens when there's a free market and everyone can pitch in minimal effort. So it's shipped over then from Sri Lanka to America. If you've never heard this one, the five biggest tankers, ship tankers, produce more CO2 in the atmosphere than every single car in the world combined. Don't feel so bad about yourself for taking a long drive on a Sunday to get outside of quarantine or whatever. The five biggest ships alone produce more waste than all the cars. It's the biggest corporate factories you see that are dumping shit into the atmosphere. But they say, again, 
socialize costs to make all the little people do the work while you privatize the benefits. If there wasn't a NAFTA, uh, trade regulations, a bunch of people could just build rafts and uh, hitch dolphins to the front and start trafficking shit across the Pacific Ocean. But now there's laws against it, so you don't even have a shot to get into that industry. So the less regulation, the better, you see already. That graphite, once it gets to the factory in America, is mixed with clay from the mighty Mississippi River. And it makes ammonium hydroxide, which then turns into this mix. It's this whole mix that goes into the pencil body. So it isn't just a piece of wood. This is crazy mix of chemicals from all over the world. They also have to put candiella, which is a Mexican wax. And it's like all of the backup parts, all the tallow and the, the livers, the tripe that you don't want to eat from those Mexican pigs chorizo it gets stuffed into the pencils it gets shipped up here so you can buy people's waste products as the more free the more the less regulation on chemicals there are do you know how fluoride got into the water supply it was in 1943 around when he got put on that new york city commission probably why he started writing these books Fluoride was a byproduct of the fertilizer industry. It was when we were starting to feed the uh, boomer generation, massive population boom. We had more used fertilizer and we didn't know what to do with it. They sold it to the government-controlled water supply. If there was, there were different people who owned water, you know, Flint, Michigan would be fed right now. <laughs> that's how, uh, yeah, that's where fluoride comes from. It has nothing to do with fucking making your teeth clean. Once you find out more of these origin stories, it's cool. Knowledge is holistic, just like this story, holistic, build from the bottom up. You need to know where all these trade deals start and what it leads to and what happens when there's more higher degree of freedom. We have some harder books coming up. I just, um, I'm getting into Thomas Hobbes. That's a, during the English Civil War, Leviathan. It's how the rise of most man-made sovereignties and states wind up. It's like Plato's Republic revised into the modern world. It's dope. We need this base of knowledge about the natures of man and what we more so thrive on as a group. Making it to the end of the pencils here, that whole candiella wax, that wood mixture, it gets pushed into six layers after being heated up to 1900 degrees. And it's cut like sausages into pencils they slide the graphite in the middle eventually. They put a little metal scarf on it. That thing before the eraser is called a ferrule. If you want to blow your English teacher's mind one day. And it's made of brass. Where do you get brass from? Well, it costs less than a penny. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start mining brass. But I'm just going to buy pencils. And I'm going to collect all of the ferrules and become a brass billionaire. Leonard called the most important part of the pencil the eraser. It's how you get rid of your mistakes. You write so you can edit. It's a little rubber plug in the business called a fastest. The pigment, the little pink recognizable color of the eraser comes all the way from Italy. How nuts is that? <laughs> so much of the world goes into this little tool. With all these subconscious parts moving together, we don't need to catch a bird and pluck its feathers and then catch an octopus and dip the feathers in its ink in order to write a piece of paper anymore. We have the market that produces these miracles. Man, you can go to any corner you live by and get a foot-long hot dog and a two pints of beer for $5. That's not possible in North Korea. You see, their grocery stores are legitimately fake.
you have to have like a, a government sponsor to be able to farm in North Korea, whereas you can go and homestead land in Wyoming and make the world's biggest chicken farm if you want. That's what freedom brings. I've been buying two pounds of chicken for $5. That's freedom. That's what America's about. That's some cowboy shit. Next chapter, you know where the pencil's from now. This one's called No One Knows. Even knowing all of those little parts, everything that goes into the pencil, still, nobody really knows how to make one if the power, if the whole grid shut off, we got nuked into a fallout reality. Nobody would know how to turn on the pencil factory. We would go back to writing with feathers and ink. The point is, everybody unknowingly contributes to the creation of the pencil. Even if you don't know how to read, you are creating, like those miners in India, they definitely don't know how to read, but they are, they don't know that they're making a tool to teach reading and writing. That's the miracle of the market, just like the fertilizer thing, even though that was for the negative, you can sell your waste for money. In capitalism, one man's trash literally is another man's treasure. Those Indian miners, the Oregon loggers, the Mississippi scientists scooping the mud out and selling it to labs across the country. They don't know each other. They all have profoundly different ways of life. But it all is able to feed their family so they could go to church on Sunday because of the free market. Otherwise, we'd be starving animals again. It's not the government making a law saying you have to <laughs> China has to give us this many pencils this is our trade agreement no it's how can I help you with the things I have the ports of Istanbul have survived through all the biggest empires the world has ever seen it's free trade and markets that rise for men our <laughs> book in just a week I can't wait to tease it at the end of the show is going to prove this more than anything the American dream even the highest level of penmanship, ladies and gentlemen. The $200 fountain pen. I'm sure there's ones that are more expensive out there. Leonard E. Reed talked about a fountain pen millionaire. He didn't have a centralized production line or anything. He just made a bunch of different parts, got him sent to basically his mansion, and then had his housemaid assemble all the fountain pens. This guy's a fucking American entrepreneur, and now he's living in McMansions, Buying and selling real estate off of $200 fountain pens. Because we have the freedom. We don't have to wait in line at the state-sponsored superstore. Non-centralized production, baby. It leads to these billion-dollar industries that we wouldn't have even known could have existed. The lacquer industry. The ferrule. No one knew they were going to grow up. <laughs> I guarantee there are people with like penthouses, million-dollar apartments in New York who are the families of ferrule tycoons, people who made brass scarfs for pencils. You see people around America, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> America is known in the international community to be a bunch of dummies. You see somebody with a big-ass house in your neighborhood, and you're like, there's no way this guy is smarter than me. How the hell did this guy get this house? He found his corner of the market. He figured it out. There is these tiny little pieces that you could literally, the girl's uh, dad I was talking about before, you can make the tiniest nuts and bolts for a factory. It's all about finding a role and seeing who you could sell it to. This brings us to second to last chapter. No mastermind. No mastermind. A market doesn't have a commissar, a czar, that is pushing everything through. We've covered this on the show. Go listen to Mind of the Market last summer. A market is a symbiote. It's a living organism on its own. It's 
the best economist in the world can't calculate <laughs> every single American's buying decisions for the day. Maybe today I want to stop and buy a fucking backwood blunt at 7-Eleven and tomorrow I'm going to spend that money at Betty's Ballet Shop, you know? This is the free market. When you have free will, no equation will ever tell you how an economy is going to trend, which a Keynesian economist will tell you they know all the fucking answers. It's what this Chicago school and the Austrian economics are playing the trends. There is no mastermind. The old saying, only God can make a tree. We can't synthesize the seeds from nothing. That was Leonard E. Reed's point. Maybe more relevant saying in the 50s. But we can't describe a tree if we don't know how it comes to be. We describe superficial aspects. Where does the tree stop? Like, you can't see below ground. You can't see all the roots of the tree. Is the tree where it's entangled and sharing nutrients with another tree in the yard? Who's to say that's not another tree? You, you think I'm sounding like crazy nature man? Ric Flair! Woo! That's the market. The market is the tree. It has its roots in the deepest annals of America. It's reaching here and everywhere, whereas you can't see and you can't say where it ends. And trying to regulate that would be like trying to regulate every single molecule in nature. You cannot put lines around where these things are going to cross. Open borders is better for trade, you've heard. Even all of the people paying into it, you get taxed. You've seen the memes. So I get taxed when I make the money. I get taxed when I want to buy something. I get taxed when I want to give it to my kids. And then I get taxed when I die as an estate. <laughs> all of that feeds up to the top again. It's part of this equation. It takes millions of workers to pay taxes and countries to trade to create the facade of wealth, which can be hijacked by a federal government. So again... Before we were the big power of the United States, before World War II, we, the reason we got the War of 1812 was because of pirates. Literally, English pirates, ex-Royal Navy people, were jacking our trade ships over to England. So that's the only thing a government was meant to do. That's why Thomas Jefferson was like, yeah, we could probably use a fucking Navy to destroy these dumbass pirates. So that's what our Navy should do. It should be like protecting people from those Somalian assholes. I'm the captain now. The Navy was never meant to put nuclear subs everywhere. It's meant to protect trade. And the government is not meant to influence and control and be the mastermind of trade. It's just meant to protect it, keep it open. In the best Chicago School of Economic Models, so even the most accurate economists can't predict the market, I'm saying. You can't predict a tweet. Donald Trump, this is one of the first presidents to have this power, his tweets are worth millions of dollars. Remember when he tweeted about Boeing? I think the math was it was a million dollar a word tweet. You could boom their stock or tank it with a few words. That shouldn't happen in a truly free market. There's too many people following one fake mastermind head. Mr. Pencil, in this sketchy situation, is a culmination of miracles. Mixing together raw earth chemicals, people of different colors and religions doing mutually beneficial business not looking to enhance their stock portfolios what we've created this ability to communicate this web of trade throughout the world is really the true mastermind i consider that the true internet like they say every connection you have with your neighbor everybody you knows they have connections with other people you're only four degrees away from everybody on earth this is what creates the net the interwoven consciousness if we're going pseudoscience 
my point is human markets are the closest to a super intelligence or a singularity where we can work together. You know, <laughs> I don't know how likely it is that you're going to be able to upload your POV consciousness to a computer as Michael Shermer will have you believe that we'll all be part of one computer and reach a real singularity. The market is the singularity. It's all of us putting our daily labor together. And when we let some fucking White House, some creepy vampires who live underground start deciding where that goes divvying up, it just murkies up that natural flow of resources. E. Reed Leonard said at the end, Mr. Pencil, if you become aware of the miraculousness which I symbolize, I pencil, you can help save the freedom that mankind is so unhappily losing. <laughs> so he was spreading the panic even in the McCarthyism 1950s. He thought we were going to lose the country to commie globalists. You see the same exact thing happening again. History repeats. It's too easy. It's too easy. You remember when Bernie Sanders was running? He said, What? Red lines weren't that bad. He fucking said that. I mean, this guy has no validity in my eyes. He sold out twice, took it in the ass for the DNC twice in a row. He fucked over the entire DNC grassroots movement. <laughs> People will still be loyal to it. Bernie Sanders out here preaching for bread lines. <laughs> see, when you see we shut down America, we get the closest to a communist state you will probably see in your lifetime. I fucking hope to God. We see the revival of toilet paper lines. That was one of the things in Soviet Russia. They said you had to wipe your ass with socks and then wash them. Like, history is only going to repeat. Start fucking reading up. This brings us to our last chapter, Testimony Galore. We're going to start this one out with a hypothetical. If you're talking to someone you can talk in confidence to, your boy, your friend for life, your BFFL, nobody's listening. You just ask them man to man. Yo, do you think you could balance the international market of free trade, the education department, the Department of Energy? You, you think you could do that job? The presidency? Anybody being realistic will say, oh, what am I, fucking Superman? Am I a quantum computer? Of course, I don't have all that data. Nobody can do that. More to the point of the market. Again, nobody can... <laughs> estimate the entire outcome of a stimulus package nobody even knows what's going to happen to this two million two trillion that we just printed i mean early effects that the media is annoying for some reason 40 million americans are out of work it shows you again just printing money the communist method doesn't help people it actually puts more people out of work you cannot thomas hobbs Productivity comes when you mix your labor with the land. You cannot fucking print productivity and value out of nowhere. You have to work to create productivity. Otherwise, you're creating more of these fake bubble markets. You see communist China in the biggest bubble in history. They have a Paris in the middle of nowhere. We are going down a very, very, very dangerous road of these reverse incentives as we started. As we said with the buddy too, <laughs> no one's going to admit that they can run all of these departments you could say this joke anywhere and people will laugh. Well, what's the opposite of progress? Congress. <laughs> Good old political joke. Every single person will admit politicians are lying sociopath sleazebags. Who will go on stage? This is what they get paid for. This is their skill to go in front of millions of people and lie to your face. <laughs> that should be the litmus test of if you're crazy. Like we know on the show from some of our psycho psychologist authors, 
2% of the population in the world are psychopaths. They do not have empathy. It's not men versus women, white versus black, India graphite farmer versus Mississippi mud farmer. These 2% of people that will admit they could do everything and admit they have all the answers are the true ones that you have to be skeptical of and fucking call out. The way these markets, the way the consolidation of labor arises is playing on fear. And we know this through history. And it's very easy to manipulate people about the idea of the market because people don't understand it. Most people will not pick up an economics book in their entire life. And what you don't understand, you fear. You're more manipulatable about. Donald Trump's been saying for the past year and a half, the stock market is booming. Is that why we took the biggest dive since the Great Depression? <laughs> and you saw all the CEOs step down before. If you're paying attention, you see the motherfucking lies. And holistically, everything will start to make sense a little more. Start with the eye pencil. Start with your free market capitalism. A couple more overt examples before we end it. The USA has the biggest annual cash flow the planet Earth has ever seen. Bigger than the Greeks, the Athenians, the Romans, every empire. The Persian Empire has not made as much money as America. How come we have a growing homeless epidemic? Especially when our stock market is at an all-time high. It is booming. Why are there more homeless people than ever? And how come churches donate more to the homeless than the government? This doesn't make sense. We learned this in the uh, Anatomy of the State book. The government says they take care of you. I've been making memes. Okay, the government's awake when you, uh, you got to pay your check, but they literally slept through the entire vaccination process. The church donates more. They have more food pantries than government-produced ones. We had this one from Anatomy of the State. Walmart. <laughs> Walmart donates $9 billion in food to the homeless every single year. The government, in food stamps, is only able to produce $9 million. Over, what is that, a thousand times stronger? I would love to see the overhead of the government, how much money each person is taking and saying, oh, it costs me $5 million to run a nonprofit. Are you sure about that? When you have Walmart, people who only care to give you what you need in trade <laughs> literally will price match anything. I will give you what you need for the cheapest possible price. And then at the end of the year, I'm going to use a lot of that to shelter homeless people. If you go down this McCarthyist social justice warrior route, you will be told corporations are the devil, when in reality they do more for you than the government. Stop listening to Alexander Ocasio. Jeff Bezos is going to be fucking sending food to your house via drone before some archaic government ever can. With that biggest growing budget, you think maybe we'd be able to try some uh, ways to quell a quarantine populace, but no, we're using it for the world's biggest printer. DARPA technologies. Literally, have you seen DARPA just built a robot that runs off of bio flesh? It will eat you in order to stay alive. That's what they're spending the money on. <laughs> That's the rise of Leviathan. <laughs> so as we see by the end of the book today, markets are more powerful than governments. If you really want to make a stand, if you want to see change on a local or on a macro level, boycotts are more effective than protests. If you actually stopped buying your man's a Gillette razor, they would probably take more to the cause than to a woman's rally. What did those protests ever do? You gotta bring your fucking guns in the street like they did in Virginia, and then they stopped making 2A laws. <laughs> 
boycotts are going to be more effective in a capitalist environment. And you see, even in a uh, communist environment in the Tiananmen Square massacre, when you're a communist, you no longer have a say as a citizen, as a consumer even, so they can run over you in a tank. Our buying power as Americans is almost as important as having a Colt Magnum in your nightstand. Being armed is as important as the American consumer like you were told by George Bush after 9-11. He didn't say join the army. He didn't say donate to your uh, troops. He said we need a strong American consumer. He said go buy shit because that's what keeps the entire economy going. And that's what the government runs off of. It's a leech of our economy. Got to decentralize. Again, self-reliance is everything. Here's a grim one to end it on, but <laughs> your government is promising you a social security retirement. My grandma's in a home right now, man, and there's just people dropping left and right. Half the building is mentally handicapped young people. It's not somewhere where you would want to live out the last lives of your humanity and reflect. <laughs> the things that you're being promised if there was a government health care, you're going to wait fucking hours behind people. You've seen it. My arm feel funny. My elbow feels strange. You're going to be waiting behind people who don't really need the help. You get the bottom of the bottom, the lowest care when you give it to people who don't care about you. Self-reliance. If we had the McDonald's of healthcare, more people would be able to get a checkup every year. It's not about making it the government where you're going to get some underpaid, overworked government doctor who's just shooing you out the door. If you have that DMV of doctors, they're literally going to treat you like shit and get paid more. It is easy to have faith in a man floating in a sky. You know, the church tells you you'll be saved at the end. The government tells you we got your uh, retirement plans covered. It's easy to believe in false promises. But what it's hard to do is believe in each other, believe in one another. But that's all we have. And that's what creates our biggest surviving force, the market. That is Leonard E. Reed's I Pencil, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you guys staying for the show today. I hope you learned a little something about free market capitalism, about these things that surround us, these tiny tchotchkes that are made possible through our incentivized economy. It's going to bring us to the perfect book, the perfect segue to get into. Ladies and gentlemen, July 1st. July, we like to talk about money. We talk about the American dream this year. The Wolf of Wall Street by Jordan Belfort. It is flesh and bones with the movie. A Martin Scorsese masterpiece. You haven't seen The Wolf of Wall Street. Go watch it now. Three-hour movie worth every minute. Start reading the book if you can. It's like a 600-pager, but it is tried and true. <laughs> the movie more so covers the more fun parts of the career. You know when um, Stratton Oakmont, that's his trading firm, when he gets caught finally by the SEC and he gives the speech? You know what? It's been great, everybody, but um, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. That's the best part of the movie. That is where the book curtails from the movie. That's where it kind of gets into reality. Jordan Belfort, he made it to the top the american dream he was the duke and the duchess of long island they owned the biggest house were flying helicopters onto manhattan every single day what happened after that speech he wound up in rehab facilities across america the american dream found upon addiction and abandoning your family for a new world <laughs> 
This book embodies that completely, and it puts you in the exact situation where you think it would end. But the amazing roller coaster ride we got coming up in just two weeks. Jordan Belfort's The Wolf of Wall Street. I will see you all then. Do not miss it. Hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Love you all. See you then. Peace.